perfect synchronicity. And welcome to Legendary Africa, your African myths and legends podcast. Mm-hmm. So we have an exciting announcement. Do you want to tell the people? Uh, yeah, we have reached over 1,000 listens. Thank you so much for everyone who made that possible. Mm-hmm. And you know what time it is. It is listener episode time. Time to send in your stories. So if you guys are new to the podcast, when we hit 100 listens, we ask people to submit their listener stories. It was something funny, strange, touching, basically anything you wanted to tell us about. And we're doing it again. So if you are someone who has a burning tale to tell, do send us your voice clip, which should be in mp3 or wav format. Or your written story to staylegendarypod at gmail.com. Guys, it is time to spill the tea. Totally. This is a safe place. It's only we're listening to it. And the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you want to crap on your boss. It's probably not the best place. <laughs> so, yeah, that was our good news. Also, as usual, check out the YouTube channel. Check out our social media. It's LegendaryPod1 on Twitter, LegendaryPod on Instagram. And uh, check out our site. I don't really say our site link much, so I'm going to give it to you here. But I guarantee you're not going to be able to spell it. Anyway, here it goes. It's uh, rishaliap.wixsite.com slash legendary. Figure it out. <laughs> um, you can probably find the spelling of Rashad's name on social media. Or in the cloud. Or in your mind. Deep within your mind where search, we've ingrained it. Search your soul. We are with you. Constantly. Watching. Waiting. Wondering. Anyway. <laughs> so do you have news for me? <laughs> I do. Well, I don't have really news, but I have a fun, kind of fun, kind mm-hmm. of scary fact. Do oh. you know? No, I'm, I'm glad it's actually kind of fun, because mine is depressing, so. Oh, I mean, my, mine is harmless. It's weird and creepy, but it's harmless. Okay, tell me about it. <laughs> Have you heard about the laughing pandemic that occurred in 1962 at a boarding school near Tanzania's border with Uganda? <laughs> no way. <laughs> well, on January 30th, 1962, three girls at this boarding school started laughing uncontrollably. The laughter fit spread throughout the school, affecting 95 students. It eventually forced the school to temporarily close, and it was deemed an epidemic. What the fuck? All students were sent home, and it spread to nearby areas, and finally died off only after 18 months. That's 1-8. No way. Mm-hmm. In total, 14 schools were shut down, and over 1,000 people were affected by the laughing epidemic. So, not just students, but like... Over 1,000 people. I suppose because the students carried to the families. <laughs> the cause of the epidemic is unknown, but we think it is due to stress. Hold on. Um, I feel like I've watched a house episode mm-hmm. about this. I f- wasn't there a guy who, I don't know, he had a bacterial infection or something, and yeah, he couldn't stop laughing. Like, it was messing with his brain somehow. Oh, I don't remember this. Or maybe he actually had something in the brain. I mean... What's weird is that it eventually died off, like, without any treatment and without any other side effects or lasting effects. It was just, they just suddenly 
went into hysteria. <laughs> I mean, that would suggest that it's actually something viral. The fact that it's contagious and it kind of had its own uh, natural lifespan. Yeah, about, is it like an actual viral thing or was it something that people sort of created in their minds? Like, it's a bit strange. But How I mean, can 1,000 people yeah, be I mean, subscribing to the same psychological phenomenon? I mean, culture. <laughs> but I was just like, interesting. Uh, the laughing epidemic. That reminds me a little bit of, I think it was the Strausberg dancing epidemic. It was a similar oh, yeah. thing where um, suddenly a couple of villages started dancing in the town square and they couldn't stop. Like mm. They danced for over 24 hours and then other people started dancing. It, yeah, it spread like an epidemic. And uh, I think that's all in all, they danced for a number of days nonstop. Didn't people, like, eventually fall down from exhaustion or something? Yeah, people were dying from yeah. not being able to do anything else. I mean, they couldn't eat. They, <laughs> I assume they peed while dancing. I guess. But, like, I, I guess they peed in their pants because they couldn't yeah. stop dancing. I try not to think about that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting here, yeah, like, that they can they start uncontrollably laughing. I don't know whether it was continuous laughter because, I mean, clearly people were still eating and everything. <laughs> so maybe it was just, like, bouts of laughter. Yeah. Un- like unexplained bouts of laughter. Can you imagine like, <laughs> your kid coming home and you're like, I'm sorry, I have really bad news. BB died today. <laughs> and she's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wow, I've done it. I've created a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start laughing about it. Right? And then all of a sudden, everyone's at the graveside killing, killing it. <laughs> <laughs> and the priest who hasn't yet contracted the virus is like, what the fresh hell? <laughs> and then he goes home and he starts like telling people, but then he starts laughing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, I mean, virus is one thing, but what do we think about malevolent laughing spirit? Oh, is, does your news also involve laughing? No, 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 this is my theory. Oh, this is your theory? Um, yeah, what could happen? Hmm. I mean, like, we kind of make sense. Well, maybe it's not malevolent. Maybe it's a happy spirit, and I thought it was actually making everyone's lives better by making them giggle on a computer. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> I guess. I mean, misguided. Yeah. But well-meaning. It's interesting that it lasted for 18 months. Yeah, that's insane to me. Mm. I just... I don't get it. <laughs> I... And also, like, it spread out of the school, so that clearly means it traveled with the school children mm. somehow. <laughs> Well, if anyone has any information leading to the arrest, I'm joking. <laughs> if anyone has of this laughing spirit, <laughs> if anyone has any further information on the laughing epidemic in Tanzania and Uganda of uh, when did you say it happened? 1960 something. Two. 1962. If you even lived through it, we would be really interested to know your opinion. Mm. We're also taking all kinds of wacky theories, up to and including alien invasions. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, right? Like, Co- we, we colonization kind of ex- through giggling. Yeah. Also, kind of no. And I'm thinking like experiment, like a social experiment. So oh. that's why it's only eighteen months. <gasps> so like they stayed there for long enough to gather enough data from these various places, and then they left because they got the information, and they're gonna go analyze. It. Laughing gas released into the atmosphere mm-hmm. through drones. Yeah. Wait. 1962. <laughs> because they're aliens. Right. Right. Aliens. <laughs> Advanced civilizations out there. <laughs> Okay, so my story actually is also a mystery. I love a mystery. Is it a murder mystery? Kind of. Okay. So, you know the Akuvanga Delta in Botswana, right? Sure. You don't do it. Anyway. <laughs> Very famous Delta in Botswana. 
But recently, game reserve people, game <laughs> rangers, <reserve> rangers. Game, <laughs> game rangers, uh, have found 400 dead elephants. I heard about that. And I am so sad. And I don't actually know what happened because I saw was a headline. So tell me. So people don't really know how it happened. They were doing like an aerial sweep of the area because they noticed that a bunch of trackers oh. had uh, just, you know, crapped out. And they were wondering like, okay, what, what's causing this? Mm-hmm. So on May 11th, they took a helicopter out and they saw all these savaged carcasses because there had been uh, scavengers mm-hmm. eating on the elephants. And uh, it seemed that these elephants had all just died suddenly as if by aneurysm or like some kind of uh, chemical nerve poison. Mm-hmm. So they have a few theories, although it hasn't yet been decided what is the cause. A possibility could be anthrax. Which, as we but, know, it's a bacterial disease and it lives in soil and on plants. Oh, I see. And apparently anthrax can actually lie dormant for years. Mm-hmm. So it could have been undetected in the ground. Um, another possibility is that there could have been some kind of uh, poisoning, I think. Mm-hmm. Because they found a bunch of these elephants actually dead around a waterhole. Okay, maybe something died in there? Yeah, well... Either way, we do not know what this is. And I think it's <laughs> it's especially scary to scientists and researchers because we're so kind of epidemic primed at this point. Mm. So, But also, I mean, that's a huge loss. I mean, they have even elephants. suggested that it could be COVID-19, but it's kind of been ruled mm. as unlikely. <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence that it spreads to elephants. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, I have theories. Mm-hmm. Okay. First, there's the... Like, anthrocentric one. Okay. So, uh, they're very sad. They all died of sadness. Because they don't get to see their humans anymore. They're all sad. Yeah. 400 of them. It's a weak theory. These are not zoo elephants. They're in conservation areas. They don't see humans anyway. I mean, they must see some humans. Maybe the people who feed them. But what I'm saying (laughs) is, it's not really essential to their survival. (laughs) Like, elephants are very family creatures. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, my other theory is that um, someone was experimenting with a deadly gas. Yeah, it does seem like some kind of nerve poison thing. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, we'll try it on elephants. But the interesting thing is, if it was, what is the end game? Because none of the tusks have been removed, so they've ruled out poaching. Well, they, like, I don't know, plants that were poisonous or something? It's just very weird that 400 of them would just drop dead like that. Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's bigger than a single herd. Yeah. It must have been something unnatural, because, I mean, as you said, 400 elephants can't just die. <laughs> yeah. But there weren't any, but they, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, like, check for attack wounds, I suppose, because they've all been um, eaten by scavengers. Yeah, but it's also extremely unlikely that something could have taken down 400 elephants. We are talking about the largest mammal on Earth. True. I was like, invisible uh, T-Rex. The largest terrestrial mammal, that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean disrespect to blue whales. <laughs> yeah. It was a land-walking blue whale that for some reason decided to eat elephants. You realize blue whales can't eat anything larger than an orange. It was very advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, my theories get wilder as I go. <laughs> Alright, well anyway, that's it for your bullshit corner today. <laughs> I'm going with invisible T-Rex. Invisible T-Rex mm-hmm. is the consensus. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, now we're going to be getting on to the good stuff. Your bullshit myth story for today. (laughs) Stay tuned. So here's a hint about what I'm talking about today. Mm -hmm. Double, double, toil (laughs) and trouble. 
fire burn and cauldron bubble. Oh my gosh, I got it. I have it. Yeah. It is, in fact, about textiles. No. I know you're saying that just to vex me. What? <laughs> vex? What do you mean hex? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Witches from Macbeth, if you're completely uncultured. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so I think that usually when someone mentions the word witch, a number of examples come to mind. You know, Lady Mab, uh, or Queen Mab, whatever. The Harry Potter series, The Wicked Witch of the West. All them witches and stardust. Your mother-in-law. <gasps> <laughs> Depending on your chosen fandom, you could believe that witches are evil creatures bent on gobbling up children. Or simply fantastical beings able to conjure magic with the assistance of a wand. Hermione Granger's there. Mm-hmm. I doubt somehow that the first thing you think of is a legendary society of witches in Cameroon known as the Nyongo Society. Like a witch coven? Yeah, like a coven. Oh my goodness, that's so exciting. Okay, so firstly, disclaimer, please let us not confuse Nyongo Society with Lupita Nyongo. <laughs> no. She is an esteemed Oscar award-winning actress whom I'm a huge fan of and I definitely cannot afford that lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> She's a nice person, I'm sure she wouldn't. So anyway, <laughs> totally different, not spelt the same way. Now, this legend originates with a Bantu ethnic group of Cameroon known as the Duala, or sometimes as the Sawa. They live primarily in the southwest of Cameroon on the coastline. In 1884, the invasion of Germany placed the Duala under German rule and led to the conversion of most of the tribe to Protestantism. So traditionally, Duala society was segregated in a kind of caste system, and unfortunately, it is related to slavery. Mm. There were three tiers. At the top, the Wanja, which had um, rights to land ownership. They were basically the kind of nobles, if we align it with uh, medieval England, for example. Then, on the second rung, the Wajili, who are either non-native Duala or descendants of slaves. And then, right at the bottom, the Wakomi, who were actual slaves themselves. Yep. Anyway, that's it for the ethnic background. Now on to the witches. <laughs> The term Nyongo is derived from Nyunga, which describes a person who has captured a python that manifests itself as a rainbow. Interesting. So let me just say right now, this seems to have precisely jack shit to do with witches, and I have no idea <laughs> why this happened. I mean, do witches transform the snake into a rainbow? No, no, this, this whole rainbow python thing? comes up exactly zero times in the rest of my story. It is relevant to mine, though, so... <laughs> Make it about yourself. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Let me tell you right now what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> also, I take personal umbrage at the idea of capturing a rainbow snake. I mean, love is love, people. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Now, just because the first legends of these Cameroonian witches came from the Duala doesn't mean that the legend doesn't exist among other ethnic groups in Cameroon and also some of West Africa. Mm-hmm. So an example is in the village of Boom in northwest Cameroon, where two types of Nyongo supposedly exist, the Awang and the Msa. Mm -hmm. Now, the Awang are by far the more evil of the two kinds, since they are apparently jealous beings that eat their victims. Oh. And furthermore, their victims must be their own kin. Oh, okay. I know. 
Whoa. Incest cannibalism. <laughs> Something like that. So apparently eating their own family increases the intimacy of the act, as well as uh, gives the Awang powers that they can use to defend themselves against other Nyongo witches. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of um, Naruto. I mean, they don't eat, you know, the, uh, what are they called? Sasuke? And Itachi oh, the, 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 uh, the um, <laughs> Uchiha's. Yeah, the Uchiha's, like when they kill their kin and then they take their eyes. Like oh, how yes. it grows. Yeah. It reminds me of that. It does. Yeah, it is actually kind of like that. So I guess charity begins at home. <laughs> uh, the Umsa, on the other hand, are a bit more ambiguous in nature, although still leaning towards the dark side. Apparently, Umsa are admired for their wealth and resourcefulness. They're only visible to each other unless a member conjures up another member and makes him or her visible to a non-member. They run a market where they bargain for goods. And here's the creepy part. Mm. The currency they trade in is human flesh. You know, I knew it. I was going to say, maybe body parts or something like that. Cool. So apparently they keep the humans uh, trussed up, and they refer to them euphemistically as goats or fowl. Hmm. Well, I guess we had it coming. <laughs> like, this is, this is what humanity deserves. Yeah. All the cars are like, yeah, how do you feel now? <laughs> right? Moo-moo, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> Working on a shirt. <laughs> However, the most well-known type of Nyongo is the Ikong. They are known for magically enslaving and trading individuals for money. Okay, are there any nice witches here? No. Wow, <laughs> okay. Sheesh. So, according to the Juala... Every person has a kind of doppelganger or shadow. Think of like Peter Pan's shadow. Okay. And this doppelganger may be magically enslaved to do the bidding of, well, the uh, original person. Mm -hmm. So apparently this counterpart can be doing, you know, chores or whatever while you sit on your ass. Useful. Think of it as your own personal Cinderella, except Cinderella is more a manifestation of your own soul than your infuriatingly virtuous stepsister. So you're enslaving your own soul. I mean, hey, at least it's only yourself, you know? I don't feel so bad about that. Really? You don't feel bad about that? I mean, you're you? enslaving anyone else's soul. Just saying. Anyway. <laughs> so, as I've said, there are many versions of Nyongo throughout Cameroon, and some of Nigeria, but I want to concentrate for today mainly on the Bakweri concept of the Nyongo, and this started around the time of World War II, so it's actually fairly hmm. recent. Now... I'm telling you this one because I think it's the creepiest. Okay. You know, because everything else so far has been princesses in bubbles. Of course. <laughs> so the Bakweri are ethnic cousins of the Duala. Interestingly, according to these people, the Nyongo society is not a traditional concept. Mm -hmm. Okay, which kind of correlates with the fact that it came about in World War II. Mm -hmm. According to the Bakweri, the concept of the Nyongo society was brought from the Duala people and only after they had established trade connections with invading Europeans. Oh, okay. So they're kind of blaming it on the Europeans. I mean, I'm cool with that. It kind of makes sense also to me, in the sense that I think we always think of sort of uh, medieval practices of witch-burning and things mm. um, associated with uh, Europe. So I guess, I guess it makes sense that it came from there. Yeah, true. Now, the Bakweri have two versions of legends surrounding the Nyongo. However, in both versions, the Nyongo practice their dark arts atop Mount Kupe, which forms part of a belt of volcanoes in Cameroon. Okay. In the first version of the legend, 
Villagers actually willingly offer human sacrifices to the Nyongo society in payment of debts. Okay. So what they do is they bring these sacrifices in a zombie-like state. So the humans might actually already be dead by this point. And then I think that in some cases the sacrifices are cannibalized, but I couldn't really find any more information on this. So, you know, don't quote me on it. Okay. Then in the second version, things actually get a lot weirder. So here, instead of presenting actual dead humans to the Nyongo, villagers would place dead rats beneath the bed of the selected sacrifice so that the body may be permeated with the smell of death, and also, I presume, with the smell of rats, but that wasn't specifically mentioned. Then the person is buried alive, which, you know, sounds like a good time. (laughs) After burial, the Nyongo member will invisibly extricate the sacrifice from the grave, And then they will make this poor person work for them. And apparently through this system of slave labor, the Nyonga society amassed a great fortune and lived in luxury on their mountaintop. This is horrible. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, you're cooking the person underneath. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So now a number of myths grew around the Nyongo as tales of the society began to spread. For instance, it was rumored that owners of houses with tin roofs belonged to the Nyongo society. So the idea was that if you could build a house with a tin roof, you must be reasonably wealthy. And because it was rumored that these uh, Nyongo witches amassed great wealth, they kind of made that connection. Uh, Did this lead to violence? (laughs) Even weirder, it actually led to a bona fide housing shortage. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, people just refused to build houses <laughs> because they were That's so funny. afraid that they were going to be accused of either being witches or associating with witches. <laughs> um, so this so-called Nyongo terror, as described by British anthropologist Edwin Arden in the 1950s, got so bad that at one point they brought in a witch finder named Obasi Njom, and this guy <laughs> was paid so much money. Mm-hmm. I'm talking two thousand pounds, which in today's oh. terms is over forty-two grand. Holy shit! I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the purpose of Abasi and John was to perform juju that would rout the witches. Uh-huh. Incidentally, in this case, I'm not using juju in the loose term. I'm actually talking about a type of magic found in West Africa. Obasi and John, by the way, traveled with a group known as the Banyangi, who liked to arrive in style. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They would enter a village with wild dancers dressed in long robes, <laughs> encircling Obasi and John himself, who wore a crocodile mask. I'm sorry, I'm just like, that's so unnecessarily dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, make way for Obasi. <laughs> wow. Um, so, alternatively, Obasi and John could have been the mask himself. I, I'm, I was could actually kind of mask. confused. Yeah, the resource was a bit vague on that. Like, I'm not sure if this was a person, or it referred to the type of magic, or oh. it referred to the group themselves. Uh-huh. It's, it's not clear. Anyway, in another myth, it was believed that one could become enslaved by a Nyongo just by establishing some kind of weak link. So, children were actually advised not to pick coins off the roads, in case it had been enchanted by a Nyongo witch to ensnare them. Oops, I've done that. <laughs> and mind you, this was in the 1970s. Yeah, no, I can bet you children still picked up stuff. <laughs> They're like, cash is cash. <laughs> like that. We're poor. Yeah. As late as 1992, there was a scandal regarding the headmaster of a school that was accused of giving school children to the Nyongo society. So what actually happened was that these kids died tragically in a car accident, 
But or did they? <laughs> but this headmaster was accused of selling the corpses to the Nyongo. Did he? <laughs> Can you please cut this guy Sorry. some slack? I mean, not only has his entire brood of kids died off, now he's being accused of witchcraft. Or maybe he's had a, you know, he had a deal. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, they're dead already. Ouch. <laughs> that was cold. I'm sorry. At any rate, uh, people believed this so much that the headmaster was actually removed from the entire area, not just from the school. Oh, he was exiled. Yeah. Basically. Okay, a last little tidbit I have about the Nyongo society is that upon the death of a member, it is said that they must be buried face down or decapitated. Okay, 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 okay. In a vampire style. Mm -hmm. So the reason for this is that if you don't do this, they might transform into what is called an ikongi, which in Cameroon is a malevolent spirit or a zombie. All right, okay. That's what I thought. So now you know what to do in case you encounter a Nyongo witch. Firstly, run. <laughs> Secondly, if he's dead, decapitate that motherfucker. <laughs> like, wait for him to die. Because <laughs> you can't actually take him on. Yeah, no, that's too... There's no chance. I mean, you can't, right? Uh, there's no uh, record of anyone actually trying to take on a witch. I mean, what about this witch finding guy? How do you do? Okay, yeah, so the only people that managed to drive out the Nyongo witches was Obasi and Jom using Juju. But apparently, like, he'd come, he'd drive out the witches, he'd leave, this whole thing would start again. So it wasn't by any means a permanent solution. Oh my gosh, this is totally like that movie, uh, the dragon movie. He probably made a deal with the witches. Where they would magically disappear. He would get his money, come back. You know what I'm saying? Oh, what is that called? Dragonheart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the dragon pretends to attack the village and the guy kills the dragon. But he doesn't really because he's actually a chief. Yes, I remember that. That was That's a fun going movie. And every time, 42,000 pounds or how much you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, they were working together. Yeah. It was a money-making scheme. Yeah, yeah. How did I not consider this? Because... You're sweet. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, Juju is considered fairly shady itself, so they were kind of hiring a shady magician to get rid of another shady magician. I mean, you fight fire with fire, hey? And then everyone's on fire. That has literally never worked in mm -hmm. the history of ever. You realize if you actually put fire on a burning house, all you're doing is escalating the problem. I mean, I don't think you're supposed to take it literally, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, these people need firefighting 101. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> So my sources for this story were Wikipedia, of course, Coastal Bantu of the Cameroons, Western Africa by Edwin Ardner, who's the anthropologist I mentioned before, oh, neat. The Modernity of Witchcraft, Politics and the Occult in Postcolonial Africa by Peter Geshir, and a paper entitled The Working Dead in Nyongo Occult Economy in Cameroonian Society by Vivian Bessem Ojong, who incidentally hails from our alma mater, the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Oh my goodness. I know. A local historian. Hello, home slice. Also, you actually wrote a paper? I mean, no, that's kind of weird. <laughs> you actually wrote a paper for this. <laughs> I'm trying not to be personally insulted. I'm sorry. I, I have I, read no, academic I... papers. <laughs> you know, I do have two degrees. Right, right. What I meant was <laughs> that you, you read a paper for this. That is two degrees of separation from your bullshit. Oh, <laughs> oh Safi, Safi. <laughs> That was a really cool story, though. Thanks, man. Yeah. Hmm. I did not know there were witches in yeah. Africa. And I don't mean it in a racist witch doctor sense. I mean actual witches. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how they do things. Not that I would want to do that, because it's crazy. <laughs> I'll travel to Mount Cooper. No, you know, I'd rather not. <laughs> Isn't that where they have dead bodies, parts, and stuff like that? 
Yeah, or possibly humans strung up for sale. Mind you, if I am looking to bargain, do you volunteer as a body part tribute? Not in any way. Okay, thought I'd ask. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to our promo today. It's going to be from a podcast called You Learn Something Old Every Day. Enjoy! Hey guys, my name's Alex, and for the next minute or so, I'm going to be talking to you about season two of my history podcast, You Learn Something Old Every Day. Now, You Learn Something Old Every Day is a history podcast for aspiring historians by an aspiring historian, and every Friday I'll be releasing an episode on an, an, on a history topic that either I found interesting or one of my listeners has found interesting, and these episodes will be give or take an hour long, and they'll involve a description of the event and some historian opinions, as well as obviously my opinion. Now, these will range from topics of World War One and World War Two all the way back to the Roman Empire. And the first episode of Season 2 is on the Battle of Balaclava and the Charge of the Light Brigade. I really enjoyed making it, and I really hope you guys go give it a listen and learn something old today. Cheers! Alright, so I am also going to West Africa, and I'm talking about the Ninki Nanka, which is a dragon. Yes, dragon! <laughs> so the Ninki Nanka has been reported in various parts of West Africa, so such as Ghana, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, um, but especially in Gambia. Now Gambia has a seriously busy history, so while I would love to spend an entire episode just talking about that, because I find it very fascinating, I'm not going to do that because I feel like I would bore everybody. I'm just going to give you a like a few interesting facts that I thought was pretty cool. Um, so the first written accounts regarding Gambia have actually been found in records by Arab traders from the 9th and 10th century AD. From 1235 to 1670, the Mali Empire put Gambia on the map through its uh, great wealth, literature, and diplomatic skills. Then by the 15th and 16th century, um, I think you can figure out what happened here. Europe, <laughs> yeah, so Europe began to investigate the area, starting with... Our friends, the Portuguese. (laughs) Guys, I know it sounds like we have something against the Portuguese, and we don't. No, no, not personally. I'm sure they're wonderful people, but they got around. Did a lot of slave trade. I mean, to be fair, they don't. They don't usually start it. I mean, you know, (laughs) engage in it, but you know, I mean, they got around, eh? Yeah, they traveled. Um, so actually, Gambia is derived from the Portuguese word. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's Cambio, which actually means trade. Right. So it's really it's literally the country of trade. Yeah. <laughs> so they actually arranged originally for a peaceful treaty of trade um, with the people of Gambia, but soon built up their own settlements after discovering gold in the area. Those bitches. Still, nothing against the Portuguese. <laughs> then, of course, the French and English tried to settle there, but actually failed because the Portuguese literally just slaughtered them. Oh, mm. damn. They were like, uh-uh. Unfriend. Fuck you. <laughs> Go find your own place. They're like, we don't want any other white people here, okay? Yeah. We're the we're resident the white people, people okay. of this place. We've got a peaceful treaty going on here, and you're not going to come fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, that's fair. Yeah. England, however, did finally succeed, because it's England. Those bitches. Nothing against English people. We love you. Um, but from 1677, the French and the English played a century-and-a-half-long game of tug-of-war with Gambia. Sounds like the French. Mm. Um, then in 1901, Gambia entered into a kind of self-run government, slowly progressing towards independence. 
And in that same year, the Gambia Company was formed, which is interesting. Um, they were the first colonial military unit of Gambia, and they actually played an essential role in World War One and World War Two. They... So this was an English militia? Uh, English one, yeah. Oh, but were there were Gambian people, Gambian people in mm-hmm. Zambia? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they actually received many medals of valor for their achievements in the war. Not like they had a choice. No, but you know. Um, it was also an important base for many military operations, equipment, and hospitals. But finally, in 1965, they achieved independence. Okay. So again, a whole slew of countries in Africa achieved independence in the 60s. So this is one of uh, many at the time. Yeah. And then obviously, they through a whole bunch of other political problems. Sure. But anyway, now, the Ninki Nanka, which apparently means dragon devil, but I'm not entirely sure how accurate that is. I like it. <laughs> I'm going with dragon devil. Okay. So it is said that the Ninki Nanka lives in the swamps of West Africa and is extremely large and very dangerous. Actually, it's a story of warning to children. Parents say that if you disobey us, then you will be eaten by the Ninki Nanka. Ah, classic. Mm. Parents inciting fear in youngsters since the beginning of time. Yeah, because apparently the children would like to go um, play in the rivers and the swamps. Oh, I get it. Okay, so they were trying to protect them from actual, you know, dangerous Drowning. things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, normal snakes, I suppose. Yeah. So now the appearance of the Ninki Nanka is something else. It has the body of a crocodile, the okay. neck of a giraffe. Uh, say what? The head of a horse what and now? three horns atop it. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I need a little time to process. The body of a crocodile, mm-hmm. the neck of a giraffe. Yep. Incidentally, you know, a creature with the longest neck mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. mammal kind. The head of a horse, mm-hmm. and then three horns. Three horns, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. I mean, I think it's kind of smart, because, um, you know, crocodiles are hardy, and then also it has a long neck of a giraffe, so it can see its prey. <laughs> you can see more than its prey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why it needs a horse's head. <laughs> I suppose for... Uh, extra the... jaw power yeah sure sure and then the three horns are, are just sort of I don't know decorative phallic symbols <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I know what this is it's Nessie <laughs> <laughs> just like <"Pop." laughs> we have solved the mystery of the Loch Ness monster you heard it here folks yeah it's African it's not actually uh, what you think it is it's a giraffe <laughs> you got a giraffe in your swamp <laughs> Okay, so the Ninkinanka is said to wander out of the muddy banks at night in search of its prey, and there is a belief that if you see the creature, you will die within five years. (laughs) You're laughing, that's terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry, I was really expecting something like, you will die within five minutes. But then it's like, (laughs) you will die within five years. And it's like, well, I'm sure a lot of people would reasonably die within five years if you were, say, 85. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's kind of scarier because like say you're 25 or something like that so you've got a long life ahead of you and then you're told oh you're gonna die in five years on the other hand that's more than enough time to tick off everything on your bucket list get your affairs in order i don't know marry al pacino <laughs> whatever marry al pacino <laughs> whatever your goal in life was <laughs> um do you want to talk about that is that your some of your goals <laughs> is that all that you think whatever how dare you come from al pacino sorry <laughs> i just meant for you <laughs> So there have been various other descriptions of the Ninki Nanka. Um, sometimes it's an enormous serpent with reflective scales, a head crest and a forehead jewel. And others say it's a winged dragon. In both cases, its length veers between that of a blue whale and half a football pitch. Holy shit! Mm. 
So actually the length of this thing is in proportion with the neck. Yes, and also that makes me think that there's probably not a pack animal. <laughs> you know, like the song being big enough for the both of us is probably just one at a time. Yeah, so uh, hard to miss. Also, I love it that we're now measuring things in football pitch units. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we're working with, guys. So according to the Madinka people, a West African ethnicity group from Mali and the Ivory Coast, anyone who stays completely calm when confronting the Ninkinanka will survive the encounter. Oh. Well, and, uh, for five years, anyway. No, no, they, they, they'll survive the encounter. Oh. Yeah, yeah, because you got to just remain cool with a cucumber. Okay. Um, unfortunately, few have, and, you know, I mean, if I'm going to be confronted by a dragon the size of a football pitch, I mean... Yeah, this thing is a behemoth. Yeah. Another story tells of a proposed hotel in Gambia, the Palma Rima, which was, uh, it was built by what is thought to be the lair of an Inkinanka. Now, no one wanted to disturb the creature to be like, you know, we want to build a hotel, could you maybe relocate, or, you know, <laughs> something like that. So what they did was that instead of disturbing it, they planted a baobab tree over what they thought was the hole where the lair was. <laughs> what? <laughs> now you laugh, you laugh. But it worked out. The creature did not attack because the tree was sacred to it. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, that's actually smart. Mm, exactly. Okay, I get it. And also, like, eco-friendly, encouraging trees. Something that is some Rafiki-type shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Ninkinanka wasn't all bad, though, unlike your witches. <laughs> According to researchers James Fairhead and Melissa Leach, who um, consulted with the Kuranko people, a group of people belonging to the ethnicity Monday, who live in Sierra Leone, the Ninkinanka lived in tall, dried termite mounds and emerged as a python, and then transformed into a brilliant rainbow. Oh, rainbow python! <laughs> rainbow python, yes. As I meant, it really was relevant. Okay, so wait. <laughs> they lived in a termite mound, mm. transformed into a rainbow python. Mm-hmm. When did they get to the swamp? Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> this one, for some reason, doesn't live in a swamp. It lives in a termite hill. Oh, uh, okay. This is like a different. It's like a different okay. kind of story. Yeah. So it turns out it, it comes out as a python. It turns into a rainbow, which spreads across the entire land and renews all the water sources in the area, including Aww. rain clouds and the swamps. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, it's a, the guardian of, of, of water, I suppose. I mean, technically the rainbow is supposed to appear during or after the rain, but I'll take it. I mean, look. <laughs> it wasn't it, it the weather created man. through refraction of droplets, but anyway. <laughs> it's a myth. <laughs> It would then transform back into a python and slither underground, where it would renew the water there. Uh, with the water table? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm. The Ninkinanka also apparently played a, a positive role in the story of Kelemanson, the founder of the Mansara village in Sierra Leone. Uh, apparently, it's, we don't have much information about this, but it just sort of helped um, Kelemanson establish his village successfully. So, okay. And then what he did, maybe, it's like, oh, it's all dry here, here's some water, I don't know. <laughs> The Limba people of Sierra Leone also tell the story involving the Ninka Ninka, the Ninkinanka, a boy and his father. Now, the father, desiring the Ninkinanka as a trophy, tells his son to climb up the serpent's neck and slice up its head. Oh, sure. Tells his son to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know how it goes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we should totally do this. I mean, you should totally do this. <laughs> Don't worry, I believe in you. <laughs> I'm a supportive dad. I'm right behind you, son. Way behind. <laughs> I'm on the ground, you go up. <laughs> now, in this story, the son climbs, and he climbs, and he climbs, and after a month of climbing, he is nowhere near the top of this freaking creature. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, <laughs> just time out here. Uh, 
giraffes are big, <laughs> but FYI, they're not that big. <laughs> this was like the mother while drafting. <laughs> so, um, his father was eventually unable to. Oh, this is actually where it gets very interesting. His father is unable to hear him anymore because, you know, he stayed on the ground like a coward. And his son is all the way up there. So, the son says what he wants to say, and then he slices off his words somehow, places the words on the serpent's back, and allows him to slide down to his father. <laughs> Now, guys, this is amazing. Oh, God. This is amazing. This is this is something that just blew my mind. <laughs> Imagine if that's the new way we talk to each other. Bye. <laughs> just, like, say it, grab the words, throw them at each other. I mean, that's kind of like a voice message. <laughs> yeah. And then you sort of just, like, embedded it in the snape. Uh, the, the, the snape. <laughs> in the, the snape. snape. <laughs> in the snake skin. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so um, at last he manages to reach the snake's head and slices the head off. So wait, what did he tell his dad? Like, uh, oh no, I think he's just giving a status update. <laughs> Don't worry about me. I'm dying of starvation and <laughs> thirst, but I hope you're doing well. You'll always be the best dad, dad. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's nice. Well, he like chomps on grapes. So he eventually reaches the head and he slices it off. But things don't go as planned. The snake's neck and body fall to the earth, as expected. But Does the, it take a month to fall to the earth? You know, I don't know. Hey, they don't say. <laughs> but the boy and the snake's head rise into the sky. What? <laughs> Someone is really trippy when they're telling the story. It rises into the sky and it stays there forever. For, oh, okay. So whenever the son misses his father, he cries out to him and causes heavy rain and thunder. And when he's distressed, he slashes his knife, which causes lightning to hit the earth. I get it. It's a weather fable. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a really elaborate way to get to that. Right? <laughs> I'm just like, like, I'm not even surprised that he was climbing this thing for a month. I'm just like, he slices off his words. What the heck? I just imagine this kid being like, Mama, why does this guy seem angry? And it's like, okay, child, how much time do you have? <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, so is the Ninki Nanka real? A cryptozoology team from the Centre for Fortean Zoology, led by Richard Freeman in the UK, led a search to find the creature in Gambia in 2006, initially suspecting that the Ninki Nanko was some sort of colossal monitor lizard that happened to look like a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> but after gathering many eyewitness accounts, they began to change their minds. A ranger from Kiang West National Park, which is one of the largest uh, wildlife parks in Gambia, claimed to have seen the Ninki Nanka three years before, and described it as being 50 meters long, that's um, apparently 164 feet, a serpent-like creature with black and green reflective scales, and a feathery crest along its face, which resembled a horse. So, very much like what we sure. are hearing. He claimed to have survived only thanks to a potion given to him by an imam. Another local resident named Papa Jinda reportedly died after a second encounter with the creature. After the encounter, he complained of pain in his legs and waist, and also soon began to lose his hair. Oh, that's he then... a weird additional <laughs> <laughs> He then died two weeks later. Other accounts claim that the Ninkinanga has a kangaroo face. What the fuck? <laughs> and or bat wings. Okay. And or uh -huh. could breathe fire. Okay, so bat wings and breathing fire. Mm-hmm. That one, uh, that I can buy. Yeah. There are bats in Africa. Mm -hmm. and Dragon feet fire. Right. Yeah, kangaroo face. Uh, kangaroo face. Mm. I take issue. Last time I checked, they're indigenous to Australia. Mm -mm. So, uh, yeah, major problem there. Yeah, I mean, maybe the Kinanka took a liking to kangaroo, but being a bit of a you know, thing. 
Where did it meet the kangaroo? It can fly. <laughs> With its little bat wings. <laughs> Look, they seem small, but he goes a distance. So uh, most of these accounts were discounted. <laughs> By your very reasoning. <laughs> so the team also returned with what residents claimed to be a scale from the Ninkinanka, but it later turned out to be a rotten piece of celluloid. Uh, so while they're not sure if the Ninkinanka is exactly what it is thought to be, the team do believe that it is a type of serpent which is yet to be discovered and catalogued. Okay. I am still confused as to how you can confuse a serpent with a giraffe. With a horse. With a crocodile. <laughs> with apparently a kangaroo with bat wings who breathes fire like um also if it's this size how could it be undiscovered mm. that's like saying the eiffel tower in paris is as yet undiscovered it's like um it's right there <laughs> it's right there and thus we go right back to invisible t-rex <laughs> what nobody realizes is it has the power of invisibility okay but you'd still probably walk into it because it's so damn huge true <laughs> but also lives in swamps, so like no one's gonna go somewhere to swamp. <laughs> Shelby, I'd be surprised. There's people who catch um, shrimp and stuff in swamps. I don't know. I'm taking all of this out of this book called uh, "Where the Crawdads Sing" by Delia something. Mm-hmm. Delia Owens. I don't know. The shrimp catches. Yeah, it's in the swamp. Hmm. I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't quote you on this, <laughs> guys. I've never been to the American South. <laughs> I don't know whether you've noticed. <laughs> Uh, so what 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 do you think? Dude, you're like no. <laughs> there is no way. Yeah, I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't think a giraffe like creature is out there? Let's say if it was found in the ocean, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. because we all know there are things in that blue death hole. Yeah, that you know we, we humanity Megalodon. has never seen. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. like the Meg. The Meg. But in a swamp, nah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, uh, what do you think they would have confused it with? Um, because <laughs> uh, that's why I'm why I'm stumped. Because if you, okay, if you think it's a giant seven, sure, an account or whatever, a uh, monitor lizard. But how do you confuse a monitor lizard with a giraffe? <laughs> that's what's really getting me. You can confuse it with, you know, a crocodile or anything else. But how the heck are you confusing it with a spotty tall creature that eats grass <laughs> and lives in the savannah? I mean, that eats like human I mean, leaves. <laughs> Yeah, this is the savannah. It's you know, not a swamp giraffe and not adapted for swamps. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm a little confused about that. Um, I think that at some point, the Portuguese introduced a little thing we call drugs okay. to Gambia. Mm. And a lot of fun stories came out of that. Mm-hmm. I am also thinking maybe like drunk people. No, man. No? That's drugs. drugs. That's drugs. That is... <laughs> Straight LSD. <laughs> I kind of want to try it out because that sounds funky. But I mean, clearly people believed it enough that they actually, you know, had cryptozoologists go in search of it. I mean, it's kind of like a... I mean, clearly the British believed it enough. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Bigfoot type story. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those. I mean, Loch Ness, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. Interestingly enough, though, I don't know why it's actually existed for so long because... They have very few eyewitness accounts. Like, everyone says, oh, my, like, uncle saw it, or my grandfather saw it, but no, like, hardly any direct eyewitness accounts, because they conveniently die. <laughs> um, no pictures, you know, like, how some of the pictures of Loch Ness has surfaced. Sure, sure. But yeah. nothing like that, so I kind of would think people would eventually give it up. But, I mean, yeah. it's 2006, so it's pretty recent. Wow. Yeah, anyway, um, so my sources were wiki, uh, mostly coffeeandcreatures.co.uk independent.co.uk, uh, the newspaper, and also news, BBC. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, well, yeah, because it made it made uh, big news, right? In, in Britain, was life really quiet in two thousand and six? You know, I don't think so. What <laughs> happened in that year, anyway? Nothing that I can remember. And then clearly it was very boring. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. People were just. I think. I think because they got quite excited in the fact that it was like a Loch Ness type thing, mm-hmm. considering it was a swamp animal, blah blah blah. So maybe that was why. Um, and I think they really were hoping to find something. Yeah. So it was kind of disappointing when they didn't. Yeah, I mean it is disappointing. Oh yeah, I also want to see a crocodile giraffe thing. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Nanka. And speaking of weird chimeras, you guys should check out our Instagram. I gave you the handle before, but you know, I know y'all get the memories of goldfish, so <laughs> I'm going to tell you again, it's at Legendary Pod. We recently went on a hike to Henops, that's a little bit outside of uh, Johannesburg, and we were fortunate enough to see a hybrid between donkeys and zebra known as <laughs> zonkeys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seriously, they're known as zonkeys, I'm not... Yeah. I think they're also called uh, called sea donks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. They basically look like donkeys, but they've got striped legs. Mm. And uh, we've got some photos up there, so if you're interested in checking that out, these are some real-life chimeras. Yeah, also lovely zebra. And very, very um, used to humans, because we were literally like, what, we meter like away? A meter away, yeah. yeah. They were completely unfazed. I was laying down and taking photos of them, and they were just like, sup, bro? <laughs> and even the zebra. That was so chill. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was a great opportunity to see some wildlife step in some dung. You know. Hey, I wonder what was in that river, huh? <laughs> Should have gone Ninky Nunka exploring. <laughs> Ninky Nunka is a good name for a drug. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it was all a drug. The Ninky Nunka was the drug. Oh, that makes so much sense. And the other one was like, yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a beast. Yeah, whatever, man. They were actually... <laughs> They're actually playing a huge prank. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, guys, that's us for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got some super fun things coming up, but secret secrets, you only get to hear about it when we decide. Mm. So until then, stay tuned for our episode on Friday, and also stay safe. Stay sexy. And stay legendary. And don't do drugs. And listen to that fucking bird. Our own dinosaur. Invisible T-Rex.